Uh, it's lovely to see you all once more. It's a joy to be back with you. As John was saying, your church has been supporting our ministry for many years. And we just uh, praise the Lord for the way God has been blessing and answer to your prayers and using your support in order to lift up a local church in the town of Santa Lucia, which is nestled up in the mountains about 20 minutes uh, outside of Tegucigalpa. Uh, we've been laboring there for 15 years, and in those 15 years, 15 years in uh, in November, sorry, my pen fell. Um, 15 years this November, uh, we arrived in Honduras and began meeting in a local house, and then we moved to a conference center, and then we moved to a, a rented accommodation, and then God provided us with a building of our own, and then we've been able to expand that building, and God has blessed us with a beautiful church complex. We have a, a pastoral accommodation on the bottom floor, so that whenever Carmen and I get to that time of moving on, we can call a national pastor, and he has a place to live with his dear wife and family. So uh, we're looking to the Lord for an assistant pastor now. We feel that the ministry has grown, and it's time that we start preparing somebody to take over from us. Missionaries uh, really work themselves out of a job. I think, you know, if you were to go to Google or somewhere like that, and they tell you, we're contracting you to work yourself out of a job. I think you would think twice about taking on the job. But that's a missionary's job. A missionary is to get into a, a new setting, plant a church, nurture that church, grow that church, mature that church, and then hand that church over to a national pastor. Because if something were to happen to your servant uh, tomorrow, the church doesn't have someone to carry on the work. So it's necessary that we think about that next step and ask God to provide the right man. So would you be praying with us for that? We would like to have a, an assistant working on uh, beside me for at least five years so that we can groom him and prepare him and, and uh, uh, teach him the ways of uh, preaching, homiletics, etc., so that the transition between the missionary and the national pastor can go as smoothly as possible. So that's a long-term uh, uh, goal of ours. Within the next two years, we want to be able to call that man. I have a man in mind. I've tentatively approached him to see if he would be interested. He said that he would. So we're praying as a church fellowship that God would confirm to us that he's the choice and that he would provide finances through the church uh, 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 giving. We've been teaching the church to give. We've been nurturing the church and bringing them on financially. And it's important that they are responsible for their pastor's uh, support. And so uh, we're, uh, we have two years to reach that goal. And then we'll be calling that young man and uh, seeking the Lord's face that he would eventually take over the work. Now, as far as the church is concerned, uh, I haven't been with you since COVID. You know, before uh, COVID, we used to call it BC and AD. Now we call it uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID. 
So uh, pre-COVID, we were going uh, wonderful. The Lord was blessing. We had a, a, an average congregation, but was somewhere in the region of 85 to 95 people coming out each, uh, each Sunday morning. We had about 50 coming out Sunday evenings. We had Bible studies every night of the week in different parts of the city of Tegucigalpa and also in Santa Lucia. But then COVID hit. And everything changed. And I'm sure it, it affected your church as it has affected all the churches across the globe. And, you know, um, someone has said adversity will either strengthen a church or will destroy a church. And uh, our Bible studies, several of the people that were running Bible studies in their homes with us, they have emigrated to other places uh, one has moved to a different area in Honduras, and we're not able to hold a meeting on a Tuesday night now in the former residency of theirs. Another one has uh, moved to the United States. Others have moved to Canada, etc. And so things, uh, the demographics of our church have changed completely. We have Bible studies on a Wednesday night, a Thursday night, and a Friday night. We have uh, a homiletics class on Tuesday night, as well as our Bible Institute. And then on Saturdays, once a month, we have our men's breakfast, uh, our ladies' evening uh, luncheon or tea, and uh, also the youth meet uh, once a month on a Saturday night. And so we, we ask God to grow those ministries and to develop the leaders that we have over those different uh, ministries. Sunday services, Sunday school is limping. Uh, we had a very good Sunday school before COVID. It has been very, very difficult to get the kids back, to get the parents to be faithful in bringing their children. And any time there's a new variant uh, coming around. We see the numbers drop off immediately. Uh, fear is still a big factor, even though we're well past the uh, what we would call a, a pandemic. Some people call it a pandemic, but uh, we'll not get into that. But uh, it certainly was used of Satan to attack the local church, and mostly amongst the young people. The young people, I think Gen Z and the latter end of the millennials are so tuned in to uh, Internet and Zoom was just up their street. And uh, that's the type of church they're wanting now. And to get them to come back to church has been a real, real struggle. And we had a very good youth group uh, pre-COVID, but now post-COVID, we are decimated, to be honest with you. And we have come to the position that we've had to let go 10 of our young members because they were non-existent in their, member, in their assistance to the church. And we're praying that this discipline of the church will awaken them up and make them realize that YouTube church is not the same as real church and that they need to be part of a church fellowship. And so we've been uh, praying very much for them. Satan has attacked the uh, marriages in our church. Four marriages in our church are on the rocks at the moment as a result of COVID and the lock-in, lockdowns. There's a lot of things about sending your husband off to work for eight hours. You know, you get, a, you get to respite your, your mind, but having your husband, your kids and everything, it can cause family problems, and it certainly did. And four families have been suffering terribly 
as a result of COVID. Will you pray for them? We've been able to strengthen one couple, but unfortunately they then emigrated to Canada. And the other three, they're struggling. And we just pray that God will keep their hand upon them. Uh, our teaching in our church is that divorces should not be in the vocabulary of a Christian. And so we're struggling, we're, we're uh, uh, standing beside them, trying to get them to reconcile, trying to get them to communicate. Communication is the major factor in any marriage, folks. And someone has said that 90% of all pro uh, problems in marriage are as a result of lack of communication. And today with the modern generations and their phones, you know, sometimes my wife and I'll go out to a restaurant and we see young couples coming in and they sit down. And the first thing they do is pull out their phones. And I joke with her and I said to her, you know, he's probably saying, what would you like with the cabbage? So, uh, and, and she's saying, well, I think I'll have the roast potatoes. You know, uh, listen, uh, communicating through WhatsApp and Signal and all these Instagrams and everything is not true communication. We need to sit down need to have real meaningful conversations in our families and our, in our marriages. And Satan is using modern technology to undermine the framework of the Christian home. And so we would ask that you would indeed pray for them. We are just a normal local church. We have the same problems as any other local church. And I'm sharing this with you so that you might stand with us more uh, uh, inform in an informed uh, fashion so that you can uh, better uh, pray for us and uh, think of us as you pray. Now, I'd like to open God's word with you. Uh, I'm seeing a clock way back there. My eyesight's not as good as what it used to be. I think it's saying, is that 10 past 11? No. Half past 11. Okay, I was close. Okay, half 11. I'm taking it, we finish at 12, John? 12-ish? Okay. Uh, uh, let's, uh, let's get into this. As I say, I came prepared for two messages, one in the Sunday school and one in the uh, church service that followed. And so this is a two-part sermon, and I've got 30 minutes, so uh, let's see how far we can get on with it. So First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 23, and uh, I want to share with you something that I've been sharing with our own local church in Honduras. Have I switched this microphone on? Yeah, that's it on now, I think. Yeah, I just remembered. I'm... You know, I'm getting to a stage in life. I need to, I need prompters. I need somebody at the back with a big card saying, switch on the microphone, you know. Uh, so um, as we've been going through all these difficulties in our church, as well as the blessings, I forgot to say to you that even though we have to let go 10 of our youth, we've brought in over 10 people uh, through evangelism. We've started evangelism again, and 10 new people have started coming, and two of them have come to know Christ as the Savior, and others are thinking very seriously their position before the Lord. So uh, we, uh, we have uh, um, confidence that in the future we will see our numbers grow again. But as, as a, a pastor of a local church, I've been trying to motivate our people to consider the blessings that we have as a church, but also 
the obligations. You know, one of the young people said to me, I don't like the fact that I'm obligated to go to church. Well, you know, uh, uh, there are a lot of blessings of being a member of a local church, but there are also obligations. And one of the obligations, which I think is a biblical obligation based on uh, Hebrews 10, 25, is not refraining from the gathering of yourselves as a manner of some age. And we as a local church interpret that, that you should be at at least one meeting per week. We have at least three or four, but we only ask for you to come to one. But he thought that that was over-the-top obligation. And so uh, it is necessary that we realize that not only do we have blessings as a local church, we also have obligations. And here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is speaking to the local church at Corinth. (coughs) And he begins, uh, let's uh, lift the reading of verse 16. He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? There's a blessing. But then comes the obligation. If any man defile the temple of God, him uh, shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Then he goes on and gives a reason. He says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become as a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in man, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas uh, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. I wonder if you learn new lessons easily. But more importantly, whenever you've learned something new, do you retain it? Or do you forget it as quickly as you learned it? I was speaking to you. This is uh, resounding. I'll move it down a little bit. Um, I was speaking to you about technology. I'm a baby boomer. We didn't have internet until I was in my 30s. And we didn't have a smartphone until I was 50. So it's all new to me. It's a completely strange and new world. And many is a time I would get young people in and say, show me how this works. And they go, well, you do this, you do that, and you do the other, and you do that, and that's, that's as easy as that, Pastor. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, I forget what they tell me as soon as they walk out the door. And, you know, we miss out on so much whenever we find it hard to retain information. It was the same in the church of of Corinth. The people had forgotten the fundamental teachings of the Spirit through the Apostle Paul. We know this to be the case because there in verse 16 he says, Know ye not? He didn't say, Let me teach you. He said, 
know ye not? In other words, he had taught them, and they'd forgotten. The central truth to this message is every believer should remember the Spirit's fundamental teachings regarding the local church. In these two verses, uh, 16 and 17 of this passage, Paul gives us two very good reasons why every true believer should remember the Spirit's fundamental teachings regarding the church. The first one is this. Every true believer should remember the Spirit's fundamental teachings regarding the local church because it teaches us that together we form the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you know the brethren at Corinth had forgotten the Spirit's teaching through, through Paul regarding the unity that is only found in the local church? They had imbibed the wisdom of the world. Incidentally, the backdrop to this would be Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a Greek philosophy of the intelligentry. They thought that they knew better than God. They believed that anything physical couldn't have a fellowship with God. So you have to transcend the physical in order to find God. So it didn't matter what you did in your body. You could sin all you want. You could fight and squabble all you needed to. So long as in your mind you were in contact with God. Transcendental meditation, yoga, and all these sort of meditatory things that we see in today's world. All our uh, um, uh, children of the Gnostic philosophy. And so, you see, uh, they thought that they could do whatever they wanted. But Paul had taught them differently. Now, for those of you that are new believers here, because I know that you will remember, if you're a member of this church, that there are two, ch uh, two ways that the New Testament describes the church in the New Testament. The first way is the spiritual church, and that is all members of the body of Christ from the day of Pentecost until the day of the rapture. Every one of them will stand in the presence of God as the glorious church of Jesus Christ. But then the second way that it's described in the New Testament is the local church. The local church is made up of born-again, baptized believers that have come together in a local uh, setting to worship and to study God's word under the authority of a pastor with the help of the deacons. That is a local church. And we see in the New Testament that this is by far the most referred to church in the whole of the New Testament. We only need to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 with me, you will see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 1 through 2. Paul says these words, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sustenis, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, 
to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all and every place, who call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Whenever you go through the epistles, the church epistles, the church epistles aren't addressed to this mysterious church that some people talk about. They're all addressed to the local churches. That is important. Because remember, the Gnostics believed in this mystical relationship with God. And that has been imbibed into the established churches of the Roman Catholic and Protestant as the universal church. And you'll find people in the streets today that say, oh, I don't belong to any particular denomination. I belong to the church of Jesus Christ. But that's not what the way the New Testament describes. May I suggest to you, and this is just a suggestion on the part of your servant, but your pastor will guide you in accordance. The New Testament was written to local church believers. If you are not a member of the local church, then really the New Testament wasn't written to you. Because I've never read an epistle in the New Testament that says to the universal church of Jesus Christ. Never read it. It's to the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae, the church at Galatia, etc., etc., etc. Paul knew where these believers were. He knew who their pastor was, and he wrote the letters, and so did Peter, John, and the other apostles. And so the local church, according to the New Testament, is of uttermost importance. And Paul nails the importance in verse 16. For he says in verse 16 for us, he says, let me see, in verse 16 of chapter 3, he says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, whenever we're talking about the local church, we're talking about something very, very special. Some people have argued with me, uh, well, if the New Testament was written to the local churches of the first century, well, what has that got to do with us today? That's why we need prophets and we need apostles so that we can receive God's word to us. That is anathema to the scriptures. Whenever you get into Jude, Jude says the faith once and for all given unto the saints. How could Jude say the faith was once and for all given if there's still revelation to be received? You see, we believe as, as uh, fundamental believers that the New Testament has been closed at the end of the apostolic age. There's no more revelation, no more uh, visions, no more dreams. 
The word of God was given to the first century church in order that they would protect it, they would copy it, they would transmit it, they would guard it on to the present day. As history would have it, the uh, institutionalized church of the Roman Catholics took over that custodianship of the scriptures and we all know what happened with the scriptures after that. But the independents, they maintained the scriptures. And whilst the Roman Catholic Church ordered the scriptures to be burned, while the Roman Catholic Church forbade the scriptures to be translated, the independents were protecting, hiding, translating, and transcribing the scriptures for us today. To such an extent that we have such a vast testimony, historical testimony, that, uh, that cries out, this is the preserved word of God to the people. And we even see in the time of Paul, Paul's determination that whenever he wrote to Colossia, that was not just for Colossia. It was for all the local churches. We see that in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16. Come with me, please, to Colossians 4 and verse 16. There in Colossians 4 and 16, Paul is talking about the epistle to the Colossians. And he says, see to it that it is read among you. And cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. What is he saying? This epistle that I'm writing on to you, yes, it is directed to your local church, but the Holy Spirit is using your church as an example for all churches. And what I wrote on to Laodicea, the Spirit of God wants for all churches. So you bring that epistle. Now, do you honestly think that the Colossians would give the Laodiceans the original copy of Paul's epistle? No. -uh. They sat down and they copied it and said, there's your copy. Can we have a copy of the letter that he sent to you? And so it was that the churches made copies of the epistles and sent them out all across Asia Minor and the known world at the time. And God preserved those. And we have ample evidence to the fidelity of the New Testament. There is more historical evidence for the New Testament than for any other historical document known to man today. Young people, some people will tell you, oh, the Bible's just fables. The Bible's just they're made up by man. Let me tell you, there's more historical evidence for this book than for any other book known in the history of humanity. So you can believe that this book is telling you the truth. And so Paul says, ye are the temple. But what did he mean by ye are the temple? It is interesting that Paul uses the word uh, naos for the word temple. Naos in the Greek language was the word that the Jews used to describe the holiest of holies. 
that place in the tabernacle or that place in the temple in Jerusalem where the, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, dwelt in the midst of his people. Now, I want you to notice that Paul is not talking about each one of us being a temple. He does that in chapter 6. And we see that very clearly because in chapter 6, he uses the singular pro pronoun, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. As you walk out of here, as you go home, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But whenever we come together, he doesn't use the singular pronoun you. He uses the plural pronoun for you. Up in the north, we have no problem with this. We'd say usins. Usins are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what we would say up in the north. And you see, that's what Paul is saying. He is saying ye, plural, are the temple, singular. Of God. So there's not that we come together with many holy places, but once you come in through that door as a member, a baptized member of this church, you unite your heart and your spirit and your soul before God, and together we form the holy place of God. That's what Paul is saying to these people. Now, that is very important for the Corinthians, because if you go back to verses 1 through 4 of the same chapter, you will discover that they were all uh, split into groups. One was saying, I'm of Paul's team. And the other was saying, I'm of Cephas' team. That's Peter. And another one was saying, I'm of Apollos' team. And others were saying, well, I'm just of the body of Christ. Paul says that's a load of nonsense. Whenever you come together, how can each one be off in their own, uh, their own corner, doing their own things? Whenever you come together to form the nowest, the holy place of God. You know, the liberal scholars will try to say that the, uh, the classical Greek writers use this word nowest to describe the whole temple complex. I'm sure you're familiar with the temple complex. There was three sections in it. There was the holiest of holies, the holy place, and the outer court. And they say that naos referred in classical Greek to the whole temple complex. The reason why they do that is they want to uh, water down what Paul is saying and what he will say in verse 17. But you see, there's a problem with that. The New Testament wasn't written in classical Greek. The New Testament was written in Conan Greek. And Conan Greek was the language of the people. The academics used classical Greek and Greek philosophy and in their universities. But whenever they came down off their pedestals and came in amongst the people, they had to speak Conan Greek because none of the local people understood classical Greek. And God chose the Conan Greek to write his precious word to the people. You know why? Because God wants you to read his word. God wants you 
to understand his word. God wants you to discover the truths of God's word for yourself. If somebody comes to you and says, oh, no, you can't understand that. You need an academic to be able to explain to you what the word of God is saying. You say to them, get out of here. I don't need you. Because the word of God was written in the language of the people so that I might understand. And whenever you get before the word of God in prayer and with the Holy Spirit, God opens your mind Then you don't need anybody to teach you because the Holy Spirit himself will teach you. Now, I'm not saying that that has taken the place of the local church. The local church is the place where we come together, we form the naos, the holiness of God, the holy place of God, and the Holy Spirit through the pastor reveals to us the deeper things of the Word of God. But you know, folks, whenever we come to this passage, Paul makes it very clearly clear that he's not speaking in the classical Greek sense. How does he do that? He says this in verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple, the nous of God? And then he says, And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. The word dwelleth in the Greek language means to reside or take up residency in. Go to the Old Testament and look where in the temple complex, in the tabernacle complex, where was the presence of God resident in? He was only resident in the holiest of holies. That's where the Shekinah glory was. That's where the veil was. And only the high priest could go into that place, but once a year, and not without blood, uh, to make atonement for the sins of the people. And thus, he had to go through an elaborate preparation to be able to enter into the presence of God. Have you ever noticed in the, in the established churches that they make reference Whenever they're praying in the churches, thank you, God, that we've come into your presence. That is going by the classical Greek interpretation of this word nous. But God says, You're the nous. And together we form the nous. So whenever you walk out that door today, you don't walk out of the presence of God the way the, the high priest walked out of the presence of God. You live in the presence of God. And what a responsibility that brings upon us as we think that God resides in my heart. But what a responsibility it brings as we gather together as a local church. Can we have schisms? Can we have groups? Can we have personal sin in the midst of the camp? 
The word of God is, is challenging each one of us here today in this passage to look into our hearts and realize that whenever we became a member of the local church, whenever we made application and we said, Pastor, I would like to be baptized, would like to be brought into the membership of the church, we came in from the wilderness and we became part of the body. We became part of that now, special nows that can only be found within these four walls. I've already said to you, you are a nows in your own, but the New Testament understands that the nows of individuals come together together to form the nows, the holy place of God. And brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to ask you this morning, have you been laxed in your gathering together with the saints as, some, as a manner of some it? You see, those young people in our church had forgotten this fundamental teaching. Oh, I've given it to them over the 15 years. The vast majority of them were brought up in the, in the Sunday school and the, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, children's work and the youth work. Now that they're young adults and now that they have their jobs and they're sitting in front of their computers playing video games until after midnight and they're too tired to get up for church in the morning. But what about us as an older generation? Sometimes family can take the place of gathering together. Sometimes sport can take the place of gathering together. Sometimes housework can take the place of gathering together. Paul is writing to a local church that is pulling itself asunder. And you can just see him putting his hands into his hair and saying, Know ye not that ye are the temple, the nowus of God? Wow. I'm sure that rocked our boats. He had already called them carnal in verses 3 and 4. And now he's telling them that they are, uh, they are uh, uh, in, in danger of damaging that holy place, that sanctuary. And how much did COVID do, do that for so many believers? Brothers and sisters in Christ, whenever COVID started, none of us knew what it was. We never heard of a pandemic before. The last time I heard of a pandemic, it was the Black Plague in the whatever century it was. I can't even remember what century. And the news would say, oh, we're all going to die. And we were all fearful. And our governments told us to stay in the house. And we stayed in the house. And the church has tried to, to find how are we going to maintain our believers. And Zoom came on the, the fore or Facebook and other things. But then as the pandemic progressed, we began to realize those of us who were attentive to things that were going on. It's not all what it was led up to be. And perhaps the terminology pandemic might have something to do with it a social experiment to see how the masses can be controlled. 
I'm not denying that COVID was a, was a real thing. Not denying that those who got it with a compromised uh, lung condition or a compromised immunological condition were, weren't in danger. I'm not saying that. It was a very serious thing, but for a very small majority of the people. But try and get the church to gather back. Do you honestly think that we can form the nowness of God over Zoom? Do you honestly think that we can feel each other's love through Zoom? Do you honestly think that we will find compassion amongst our brothers and sisters over Zoom? Do we honestly think that we can have fellowship one with the other over Zoom? The local church was designed by God. Because he created man to be a social individual. Oh, I know there's the old crackpots that are up in the mountain and they're hermits and they don't want anybody to come anywhere near them. But they're far and few between. The vast majority of us need communion. We need fellowship. We need a sympathetic ear. Or a strong shoulder to lean on. And God knowing the needs of his people. Designed the local church. And he designed it in such a way. That whenever we come together. The glory of God is in our midst. And whenever there's two or three gathered together. What does the word of God say? There is God in the midst. And that to bless. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let me uh, encourage you. Let me encourage you to be faithful in gathering together as a local church. But those of you who aren't members of this church yet, perhaps you're like many in my church that as yet haven't given themselves for baptism and church membership. Why stand on the sidelines? Why just be an observer of what is taking place in this place? When you too can become part of the nowus, the holy place of God here. May God bless each and every one of us. Amen. Amen.